This is part one, love one another. Love one another, a new command. So loving your neighbor as yourself is very important to God. That's why God commanded it. In fact, in the Bible, you will find the words love your neighbor as yourself eight times in the Bible. So God repeated himself specifically for a reason, because he knew we were going to find it hard to love some people. <laughs> How many people find it hard to love some people? There's some people that it's hard to love. Amen. In fact, there's some people that, if truth be told, if there were no street cameras, <laughs> if there was no law enforcement, if God wasn't watching, we'd run them over with our car. But the mercy and the grace of God. Amen. So God commanded us to love one another. It is a commandment from God. It's not a recommendation. It's not an option. Loving your neighbor may not be easy, but it's a commandment. It is a requirement. And we have to do it. We have to do it intentionally. You know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Or some people say this way, treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, God is commanding us to love one another. So let's look at our first scripture. Our focal scripture is found in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you have love one for another. Some translations say, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Now, it's interesting that Jesus told the disciples this in chapter 13 of John, the book of John. Because if we read through the book of John in chapter 13, there's three critical things that are taking place. Three critical events. The first event is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, this is pre-crucifixion. This is before he was put on the cross and died for us. But Jesus knew the hour was approaching. So there were some specific instructions that he gave to the disciples. And these three critical things took place in chapter 13 of the, of the book of John. One, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Two, Jesus predicted his betrayal, that Judas would betray him. And the third critical thing is that Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him. Peter would deny him. So, but in verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. So it's interesting, why did God decide in John chapter 13, verse 35, to tell us to love one another just before he went to the cross? Some of you have already figured that out. Before he went to the cross, he told the disciples to love one another. Because Jesus came out of love. He went to the cross out of love. That is why he chose when it was 
pre-crucifixion, when he knew his hour was coming, to tell his disciples, listen, love one another. All throughout the Bible, it tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. So the first key point is that God commanded it. We know that Jesus is God. So God commanded it. He commanded it. Turn over to Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, wait a minute. I thought to God, sin was sin. I thought to God, sin was a sin. And there's no one sin bigger than the other. We'll look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says. It says, there is no commandment greater than these. So these two commandments, the first one being to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, that's the first commandment. That's the greatest commandment. Why? Because nothing and no one comes before God. And then the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Who created your neighbor? Who created you? So it's a sin against God to mistreat your neighbor. It's a sin against God for your neighbor to mistreat you. Because it's the second greatest commandment. And the Bible says there's no commandment greater than these. So loving your neighbor, loving one another is not an option. It's a commandment. And God will hold us accountable All throughout scripture, we see how God held man accountable for how they treated their neighbor. God will also reward us for how we treat one another. All throughout scripture, it tells us, it promises us curses and blessings based on how we treat our neighbor. So who's our neighbor? That person that you don't like? Your coworker? You know, the one that you can't stand, that's your neighbor. (laughs) You know, the one in the church that started the rumors about you and tried to take the position that you were qualified for, and they're not qualified for it. They're just a troublemaker, a gossip, a backbiter. That's your neighbor. You know, that family member that you can't stand because they're always borrowing money and never want to pay it back. (laughs) Somebody said amen. That's your neighbor. You know, your next door neighbor that can't believe that God blessed you with that type of house and this type of neighborhood and you look the way you do, a little darker skinned, got a little melon in you, and they walk around with those extra sheets on that they got in their house with little eyes poked out, that's your neighbor. (laughs) Your neighbor, guess what, is made in the image of God. They may not act like it, but they are. And it is not an option. It's a commandment. God will hold us accountable because he's commanded in his word. And guess what? We're responsible for what we hear. 
So once it's illuminated to us, now it's already a commandment in the word, so it's all, we're already accountable for it. But once it's been taught to us and illuminated to us, now we got a double charge because we can't say we didn't know. Okay, say, God, I didn't read that scripture, so I didn't know. Number one, he said it, so we're still responsible for it. Number two, now I've sent my pastor and my prophet to tell you, so now you know. So the second key point is serve each other. Now, if we look in that same chapter, John 13, and we read verses 14 through 17, it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Verse 17 says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Guess what? You don't do them, you're going to be cursed. So Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross, before he was betrayed, he said, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Wash each other's feet. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to literally wash people's feet? I mean, some churches still do that. Some churches do that. Do I literally wash each other's feet? Serve each other. Help each other. Humble yourself for your neighbor and serve them. If they're hurting, help them. If you have it, help them. Love is actional words, not just verbal. Love should be action, not just words. Because by Jesus demonstrating washing their feet, he had to bend down and wash their feet to demonstrate to them humility. Humble yourself and help someone else. You know, during the month of August, we are doing our small groups leader training for those that would like to launch a small group. And our next major small group that we're um, launching is the Sheep Set Apart. That's our outreach launch um, small group. And so if you haven't had a chance to start, sign up for the training, we ask you to do so. But this is the group that's going to be going out doing the local outreach, going into feeding the homeless, visiting the nursing homes, beautifying the schools, doing things in the community to help and serve others. We're also going to be participating in citywide outreach um, groups and activities because there are a lot of churches that are coming together to do citywide outreach, and we're going to be participating in those through Sheep Shed Set Apart, as well as missions overseas. We're going to be building schools in other countries and helping to fund missions that take place in other countries. This is the work that Jesus is telling us to do. We have to serve each other. And in order to serve each other, we've got to humble ourselves and realize that it's not all about us. Our fancy cars, 
our big houses, all the money we have in our bank account, the next vacation that we can take, the number of degrees behind our name and the titles in front of our name. It's not about any of that. Jesus, who is God, who came to the earth in the form of man, but is God. If he can humble himself and bend down and wash the feet of the people he created, who we later learn, Peter being one of them was going to deny him, and Judas being one of them was going to betray him. But here we have God bending down and washing their feet. So if he can do that, who are we that we can't humble ourselves and help someone that needs something? Who are we? Our third point is that we have to forgive each other. Forgive each other. Now that's a tough one. The reason why that's a tough one is because everybody needs forgiveness, but not everybody wants to forgive. There are plenty of times when people do things to you, you turn around and do something back, you want to be forgiven quickly for what you've done, but you want to hold their feet to the fire. You ever seen a cat fight between two women? Going back and forth, backbiting, one say something, the other one say something, just, just back and forth. Nobody can stop because I got to have the last word. No, she got to have the last word. No, I got to have the last word. Okay, let's squash it. Okay, it's squash. And then one of them walk away. Everything's squashed. Let's move on. The other one walk away. No, it's not over. Did you hear what she said to me? She got me better than I got her, so now I got to keep this going. Forgive each other. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, and this was long. It's verses 21 through 35. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, this is Peter we're talking about. I make jokes about Peter a lot, personality-wise. I make jokes about him sometimes. But what Peter is saying here, these people are getting on my nerves. How many times do I have to forgive this knucklehead? Seven times? Because on that eighth time, I'm popping him upside his head. No, Jesus answered. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So sometimes when your children come to you and they ask you a question, and you know they're kind of being a little sarcastic with the question, you give them a sarcastic response. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You forgive people as many times as you want to be forgiven. See, verse 23 says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He did not make him pay for it later. Give him an extension. He canceled the debt and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, that same one that begged for mercy and received the mercy, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, not near the amount that he owed. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had, what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, this is scripture. It's not something I made up. You mean I have to forgive that knucklehead that told all them lies about me? Did God forgive you for all your sins? Yes, you got to forgive them for theirs. You mean to tell me I got to forgive this person that tried to harm me when I was a kid? Did God forgive you for your sins? Yes, you've got to forgive them. To love one another is to forgive. How do we know? The Bible says in Matthew, we've got to forgive. It also tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave he gave Jesus because he loved us in spite of our sins, and he wanted us to be redeemed. We all need forgiveness at some point in life. So loving your neighbor is to forgive them as you have been forgiven and as you want to be forgiven when you make mistakes. You can't have the mindset that it's okay for me to make mistakes and be forgiven, but anybody that sins against me, I need to hold their feet to the fire forever. And never let them get off the hook. Ever. I mean, they do something to me one time. Even if they did it in response to something I did to them. They do it one time to me. And guess what? They never get another opportunity. What if God did that to us? What if God said, okay, because you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, you never have another opportunity to have fellowship with me. I remember one time, this lady uh, said something to me. I didn't like it, and I snapped back. I said something back to her. And it all transpired on text message or, or Facebook, some kind of way we were, text, we were talking to each other. I think it was text message. It was text message. She said something snappy. I said something back. If you've been around here long enough, you know my mouth. <laughs> so I got a good. I got a real good. She couldn't handle it psychologically. She couldn't. She's like, oh, my God, she got me. Yeah, I got you. You say something else, I'm going to get you again. 
We went to talking. Dropped it. Everything's over with. Move on like adults. A few weeks later, I went to text her about something totally unrelated to that. Totally ministry related. She barely responded by text. I found out months later. Do you understand when I say months later? I mean several months later, almost seven months later, that she never wanted me texting her again because she never was woman enough to tell me that, but I found out months later. She didn't want me texting her again because of that one incident where she said something snappy to me and I said something back. And immediately it went in my head I remember back years ago, over almost two decades ago now, when I used to hold grudges. But when I did that, it was because of something bigger that had taken place in my life that I had not let go of. So at that moment, I was able to understand this individual had a problem that at one point in her life was bigger than that little text message between us. And that's what the real crust of it was. There was something that took place in her life that allowed her to feel that the moment something happens, I've gotta now shield myself. No matter how small and petty it is, I gotta shield myself so it never happened again. And then for a split second, I forgot about the fact that I don't like this person and I felt sorry for her. Because she was currently at, and still is currently at, a place that I used to be at two decades ago that God delivered me from. Two decades ago, two decades ago, I was in undergrad, and I was in choir rehearsal. And I had lived my life all the way up to 18, 19 years old, hating my father. Literally, when I say I hated him, I mean it with every fiber of my being. I hated him. And I had already determined I never want to get married. I never want to have a husband. I want to have kids, yeah. I'm going to adopt kids and I'm going to give birth to kids. I said that even as a child. But I don't ever want to get married. Because of everything that my father did and didn't do for us. So I understood at the time. So I'm in choir rehearsal. Totally out of blue. This is how the Holy Spirit does me. He snuck up on me. There was this evangelist that was traveling, and we were going to sing at his uh, church or some event he was at. He visited our choir rehearsal. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took over. And everybody in the choir was on their knees before God. And the Holy Spirit started speaking to me about what I was holding in my heart for years. For 18, 19 years, I was holding hatred in my heart. And once I released that in that choir room, Clark Atlanta University in the choir room, once I released that and I got up off my feet, there was a weight literally that lift off me. And since that day, I've been able to forgive people of things, especially petty stuff, but I've been able to forgive people of things. So when I heard this lady say this, a moment of compassion came in. 
Because I remember when there was something major in my life that made me that way. And see, that's where we have to be in the body of Christ. What God is saying to us here is that he forgave us of the biggest thing ever, the sins against him. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So each one of us needs forgiveness. But because God forgave us, we're allowed to have salvation. Because he forgave us. Because he died for our sins. Because by accepting, see, salvation is by grace. It's not by works. It's by grace. And it's by faith in Jesus. So that is how we attain salvation. It is not because of us or because we did something right. And so when we accept that and understand that Christ made the biggest sacrifice for our sins and he saved and forgave us, how dare we hold someone else hostage in our hearts? Because when you don't forgive, you're only holding yourself. See, that is why when I got off that floor, the weight lifted off of me. He felt, my father, where he was at, he felt nothing. Whatever pain he was suffering, he was already suffering that on his end. But he felt nothing the whole time. I was the one carrying it. He was not feeling anything because of what I was feeling. I was feeling what I was feeling. So when you hold unforgiveness, that's your pain that you're holding on to. No matter how big or how small it is, you're holding that and you're holding yourself hostage, not the other person. And so I had to realize, wow, She's where I've been. Something major must have happened in her life, and she hasn't gotten past that major event. And once she gets past that major thing, this little petty stuff, she'll drop off. But because something major has happened, and she has not had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because, see, it takes an encounter with the Holy Spirit in order for you to truly change. In order for you to experience true deliverance and freedom, you got to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it's going to happen. And so that moment in that choir room, unexpectedly to me, pre-planned by God, when I got delivered on that floor from the spirit of unforgiveness, when I stood up, I felt lighter. I felt lighter and I felt free. And no longer was I able to hold on to pettiness for years. It would never take me saying to someone, because you text me something petty one time, you never text me again, no matter how serious or important it is. Even if it's not about what we're talking about and we've already both apologized to each other and moved past it. Because of that, I'm so blocked. I'm so blocked. You got to be free. You have to forgive people because, number one, you're commanded to do it. You've, we've been forgiven. And then, number two, you got to set yourself free. Set yourself free. Don't hold on to stuff. Don't hold on to stuff like that. We all need 
forgiveness. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong. Truth be told, in most situations, in most fights, in most quarrels, battles, no matter who you're fighting with, whether it's a family member, loved one, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, even a supervisor, whoever it is, in most battles, the truth be told, both parties are wrong to some extent. I haven't seen one scenario yet where it was totally and completely unequivocally one person that was totally wrong. Except in a situation where there's an attack, of course, that's different. But in quarrels and back and forth situations, nine times out of 10, 9.99 times out of 10, both parties are wrong. So you have to forgive people. That's a part of loving one another. And finally, our final point is that, guess what? God is the avenger. God is the avenger. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, let's stop right there. If it is possible, because there's some situations where you are better off separating. Those issues deal with safety issues. That's different. It's on a whole different category. That's a totally different message for a different time. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, meaning in your heart, in your actions, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And see, in order to live at peace with everyone, you have to rectify in your mind, hey, what do I need to do to make this right? What do I need to do with my heart to make this right? Because it's not right to go to church every single day, go through all the services, go through all the motions, even serve in the church. I don't care what position you're in. And you got something in your heart against somebody, against your neighbor. That's just not right. I remember the church that my husband and I came up in and down in South Florida. I remember we were there for years and the pastors and everyone, the pastors and everyone pretty much raised us in the church. And I remember that one time, one of my very close friends at the time and I, we got into a little dispute and the guy she was dating at the time got into a dispute with um, Pastor Derek at the time. And, you know, men being men, they squashed it. It was over. Women, we still doing this. I remember the pastor, one of the female pastors, she's the senior pastor. She came. She saw what was going on. We were sitting in sanctuary, getting ready to take communion. She came down off the platform. She had a deacon come get me. She had a deacon go get my friend and made us get it right before we took communion. Why? Because you have no business taking communion and you got something in your heart against your neighbor. See, they don't do that no more in churches now. It's too many games that's being played in the church. But that's the right way to do it. You're not supposed to be going through all the motions and you've got something in your heart against somebody. That's not right. That's not loving one another. That's having a form of godliness and, de and denying the existence thereof. Because, see, God sees straight through you and your games. So Romans chapter 12, verse 18 through 21, it goes on to read, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, 
my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So that means you don't lie in wait to take advantage or to get someone back or hold on to it until you get them back. And then once you feel like you got them back good enough, okay, now I can get, I can let it go. Remember, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So unforgiveness of others and having a vindictive mindset will block you. Because here you step into the place of God. And you try to do his job, which is to be the avenger. Because see, God knows how to repay everyone at the right time and in the right way. You don't have to take revenge. You know that we have a company uh, called Green Apple Accreditation. And the Lord blessed us with that since 2004. And it's very, very, um, very, very successful by God's grace and mercy. And I remember some years ago, maybe 2009 or so, some of our schools in South Florida were facing persecution. And it was because of someone that worked from, at the time, at the local ELC, Early Learning Coalition down in Broward County. And she was very hateful. She did not like the fact that we were a religious organization and that most of our providers were churches. She did not like that. So she would do anything to try to prevent them from being able to get funded. She would just attack and attack and attack and attack. And I went down to several meetings trying to resolve the matter. It really wasn't an issue except for her. I wrote letters. I did emails. It would stop for a little while. The next thing you know, she would be attacking another school. Went on for years. Last year, last year, a school came in, said they wanted to be a part of Green Apple. They started the process. Now, I forgot this lady even existed because that was over 10 years ago. Forgot all about this lady. Last year, school comes in. They have three locations. No problem. Go through the process. They get accredited. Come to find out, watch how God moves. Life has a way of coming full circle. God knows how to avenge, and God knows how to repay. After a little while, they got their accreditation. I got a phone call from the state. The state said, um, this provider doesn't have the proper license on one of their locations. Now, the reason that this lady over a decade had a problem with the churches is because churches can get an exemption. They don't have to go through the same process if they don't want to, to get a license. And they can get their accreditation and get funded. She didn't like that. Watch God 10 years later, 11 years later. This school did not have the proper license. This same lady now works for that school. See how God moved? And so it was brought to my attention. And what this lady used to do, 
She used to work so hard to get these schools accreditation revoked or make it where they couldn't use it to get their funding. 10 years later, she's working for that school. She's a director of one of the schools. It doesn't have its proper license. Now they've come to us for accreditation. We granted the accreditation. Guess who has to revoke it? Guess who loses funding? Her school, 10 years later. And her only solution to fix it would have been an exemption, which is the exact same thing she was fighting against 10 years ago. See, God knows how to avenge. He said in his word, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if I tried to get revenge against her over a decade ago, I would have been spinning my wheels in circles. My efforts were better doing what the Lord called me to do. And in his timing, letting him avenge and repay. Because when he avenged and repaid, it's way better. Now she's at a school that does not have the license that she needs or the accreditation. That's how God moves. So God avenges. We don't ever have to try to avenge ourselves. So what is God saying to us? He's told us eight times in the Bible to love one another. Remember the golden rule. It's a new command to love one another. God gave the command. It's not an option. God will avenge and repay. And we're commanded to serve each other. We're commanded to forgive. So let's look at those eight scriptures just briefly. And you can just write down the scripture as I read it. It's 1 John 3.11. The message you heard from the very beginning is this. We must love one another. 1 John 3.11. John 13.34. And now I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge on others or continue to hate them. But love your neighbors as you love yourself. I am the Lord. First Peter 4, 8. Above everything, love one another earnestly because love covers over many sins. Romans 13, 8. Be under obligation to no one. The only obligation you have is to love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. First John 4, 12 through 13. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in union with us and his love is made perfect in us. We are sure that we live in union with God and that he lives in union with us because he has given us his spirit. Ephesians 4, 2 to 3, it says, be always humble, gentle and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, it says, to conclude, you must all have the same attitude and the same feelings. Love one another and be kind and humble with one another. Do not pay back evil with evil or cursing with cursing. Instead, pay back with a blessing. Because a blessing is what God promised to give you when he called you. Amen. Love one another. I hope you got something for this message. Amen.